Salut tout le monde, hey everybody, welcome to Game Over. Actually, I'm going to double check to make sure that uh, everything's working well on my stream. Everyone knows I traditionally struggle when it comes to getting the streams to work. So hopefully, without Robert here tonight to, to help me out, you guys can see me and you guys can hear me. Uh, salut tout le monde, I do really appreciate everyone being here after this late game. We're going to keep it... We're going to keep it tight tonight. Oh, look at that. Oh, hey, I can see myself on the stream. So we're going to go ahead and welcome our friend Matt Drake to the show. How's it going, Matt? Terrific. You know, I, I would have liked him to end that one a little bit earlier so I could get to bed, but what are you going to do? You know, you're looking a little bit like, oh, maybe not. I was going to say you're kind of looking like Jack Eye a little bit, but he's keeping it tighter in the back. He's, 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 he's cleaning he's it up. Yeah, he's he's keeping it a little bit tighter. Yeah, mine's mine. Uh, my salad's flowing uh, pretty hard right now. So, um <laughs> All right. So thank you to everyone that's here. Hey, um, yeah, everything looks great on my end. Well, you can see my face, Kate. How's it going? By the way, we're going to talk about Caden Gooley tonight because he's emerging as the number one defenseman we all thought he could be. You know, last year, the numbers weren't great, but we're, we, no offense. Hey, I'm going to try not to throw any strays at Savard because Andrew's not here. But last year, Gooley's numbers weren't amazing. This year, they're looking fantastic. And that is great news. Um, let me know where, where you're watching from as well, because I appreciate all of you taking time out of your precious day. We have a Rangers fan here. So maybe he's upper state New York where you can get some delicious garbage plates from Rochester. Let me know where you're from. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about these these plucky halves. I think that, oh, Caden uh, Swedgen mentions as well, Justin Barron. We're going to talk about him. He's looked fantastic. But uh, I wanted to kind of get everyone's impression on, on the, the pluckiness of the halves because... They're coming into these games that stylistically, maybe talent-wise, they shouldn't be in. But I thought they did great against uh, the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. In fact, that first line was quite dominant and they deserve that goal. So anyhow, it was a, a fun game and we got Matt here, our, my old colleague from uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize. Before we get going... Like the stream, subscribe, do all the stuff that we always beg you to do, uh, and get your questions ready for the third segment. So, what was the big thing that stood out for you uh, tonight in the match, uh, Matt? I think it was that first line. Man, they were dominant. They had huge swaths of time where they were hemming the the, the Golden Knights into their own zone, uh, particularly in the third period there. Uh, you know, they came so close to getting one on the power play. They were getting chance after chance after chance. And after that second power play didn't go and they didn't get a goal, it was kind of like it, it almost seemed like it, it could have taken the wind out of their sails completely. But then they go out there on their very next shift and create a goal. And uh, it was weird to see Rafael Harvey Pinot in Cole Caulfield's spot making right. that play over to Nick Suzuki on the back door. Uh, but it works, man. And I, I've been I've been yelling about this all season. Is like when things aren't going, like try something different. And they did that. They put Caulfield up at the point. And I think that threw the Vegas Golden Knights completely off. They weren't sure where the shot was supposed to be coming from. And he sends it down to Harvey Pinot and then over to Nick Suzuki and it ends up working. So, you know, they worked hard for that goal and they were working hard that whole period and really that whole game. They were fantastic. So, I, you know, that really jumped off the page. Uh, of the score sheet there as 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 little as they actually put the puck into the net you know uh, puck rolls a little bit differently for them they could have had two three goals in that game no problem yeah Rafael Harvey Pinard actually came very close to scoring earlier in the game uh yeah. I, I think he was on the line with Jake Evans at that point but I'm just happy that they scored a goal because we're starting to get the criticism people are saying oh it's not working out it's not working out well that line actually other than Kirby Doc, Rafael Harvey Pinard continues to to, to make to make to, to have the best results there, you know, statistically, like they're not getting dominated. They're out shooting their opponents. 
they're outchancing their opponents. So I'm glad to see Hervé Pinal get a little bit of luck go his way. That I think is very important. Um, but also, it's great to see Nick Suzuki get off the schneid a little bit. I, I, what did you think about the criticism about Nick Suzuki to start the season? Because before we get to the to your answer, I think there was a little bit that was warranted. Just a little, little bit. But as per usual, it was disproportionate. It's it's Habs fans, right? <laughs> it's and, just and Habs fans. Montreal hockey. <laughs> it, you're you're never gonna get you know completely measured criticism. It's always gonna go overboard at some point. Um, I, I think for sure some of it was warranted. He didn't have the best start to the season, no. uh, but we're seeing him start to pick it up now. And um, you know he's kind of proving that you know maybe you don't want to jump the gun and start really dogpiling on a guy that early in the season. Give him some time. Uh, to acclimate, give him some time uh, to considering the fact that he's got multiple, like a rotating cast of uh, the, on the other side of his wing there. Um, he's, he seems to not know from night to night who's actually going to be there. Is it going to be Josh Anderson? Is it going to be Rafael Arvipinar? Is it going to be, jo uh, who knows, Sean Monaghan? They could throw anybody on there. Uh, they haven't really figured out who works best. I agree with you. I think uh, RHP has been He's, he's been the best of anybody they've tried there so far this season. Mm -hmm. I, I still have my guy that I'd like to see them try there at some point, uh, but he's currently playing in Laval, so he's not available. Oh, but, oh you're talking um, about Le, Le Sniper Beauceron. I am talking about Le Sniper Beauceron. Um, We're going to fight about that because I, I, I think I think Joshua is where he needs to be right now, but, but we'll talk about that later. Well... I, 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 yeah, we can talk about that afterwards. I think overall, I think what Nick Suzuki is showing is, you know, patience, right? We don't need to jump on a guy that early in the season if he's not producing. Um, it's going to come. You, you look at Cole Caulfield right now, how many opportunities is he getting every single game? Um, and, and he's not, he's got what, three goals in the year so far? Um, well, I think that was his second, four, right? Was he four? I think that was just his uh, second. No, that was Suzuki's. That was Suzuki's fourth. Uh, Caulfield either has three or four. Oh. Either, either way, my point is like the opportunities are there for him. They're just not. They're, they're not cashing in on them. And as long as they keep generating those opportunities, eventually the puck's going to start rolling right for them. Yep. And they're going to start scoring a lot more. And you're seeing that now with Nick Suzuki. I think you're going to continue seeing that as long as he's playing the way that he is. We got a great comment here from Canty Canadian saying, if I had a nickel for every time a, a Vegas goalie gave the Habs a free goal, he'd have two nickels, but that's not a lot. But it's, it's still, it's kind of weird that it's happened twice. So we're having the Aiden Hill tonight. I I, I like the fact that it happened to, my, to Sean Monaghan because... Yeah, sure, it was the easiest goal of his career, but Sean Monaghan, and this is not taking away from the top line, Sean Monaghan has been the Montreal Canadiens' best player by a country mile. Um, and it's so fun to say, this is crazy stat, five goals, zero at five on five, but it's not because he's playing poorly. He has two shorthanded goals, three power play goals. The question becomes, do you keep Sean Monaghan? Because the idea was always you trade him, you trade him, you trade him, but we're seeing a guy who, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, he's old and injured. Hey, he just turned 29, like, two weeks ago <laughs> if he's old I'm Methuselah um and he brings something to the game that Kirby Doc brought which is being great in transition right like that's so important for the Montreal Canadiens so has he moved the needle for you or is it just more now the Habs can get a better result at the trade deadline for uh, a trade for Sean Monaghan it's hard to say man I mean with the way he's playing the, the argument for for re-signing him at the end of the season is uh I, I can see it I, I, right? I, I think there's a path for that to happen especially if the Habs finish the season closer to the playoffs than they are to the bottom five. Um, I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs, um, but the way they're playing right now, they look like a team that could potentially be challenging, like maybe a bubble team. And if that happens, it's going to be hard for them to justify uh, trading bodies away if they're in the race when, uh, when the deadline comes around. So then that might make them have to make a tough decision. They say, well, we got to keep this guy because 
there's no shot that you're going to get anywhere close to there without him, the way that he's playing right now, the way that he's anchoring that, that, that quote unquote third line. That's really the second line right now at this point. Um, he's an incredibly important player for the success of this team. So if they're anywhere near a playoff spot, I could see the argument for not trading him. However, look at his, his totals right now. If he continues this production, the type of return that you could get at the deadline, given what his salary is, yeah. contenders would throw a lot at you to and get it's, that it's, on the squad. And he could do so much healthy. too, right? Like it's not just yeah. a, like defensively, <laughs> offensively. He's a he's a complete player. Yeah, and the the amount that you could get in return for him, again, given his salary, by he's the deadline, by the time the deadline rolls around, he's he costs nothing, right? Uh, you could easily get multiple picks out of that. You've already gotten a first round pick just for taking it's on already that a contract. Win. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard. It's going to be really hard for Kent Hughes not to take that. So I think the only way he sticks around is if they're if they're really in the thick of it come deadline time, uh, then he, he might be forced to keep him. But other than that, if if it's if it's a long shot, if they got a big uphill battle to get in the playoffs, now nah, t- take the money and run. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm with you with that one. And it always reminds me of there was at one point the Habs were fighting. They were right there at a playoff spot. I think they were maybe two points out. And they decided to trade a defenseman who wore number 26, I believe, Josh Georges, to, or no, sorry, they decided to trade a defenseman who wears number 52, Craig Rivet, to the San Jose Sharks while they're in a playoff race. Mm. Um, and they ended up getting, obviously, Josh Georges and then a guy called Max Pacioretty, and Max Pacioretty turned into Nick Suzuki, right? So eh, there's, they're like, I, I know it's always, this is just circumstantial, that one trade, but... I'm big time on the whole take the money and run. You know what I mean? That's like there's at this point with the Habs, they're not quite there yet. Um, if you can get another first round pick, you're probably laughing. All right. So we have, uh, oh, we got uh, Danielle is in Moncton. That's not too far from you, right? No, not at all. About an hour down the road. Hour down the road. Oh, we got uh, Sanders is in Latvia right now. Nice. Okay. We got some people in Brooklyn. We got some people out west and Vancouver, Fraser Valley. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the great part about these late games. It, for for other people, it's just normal games. So we have it so good, right? So now actually we have people. Maybe they're they're waking up in uh, Europe and they're getting to catch up a game. So that is fun. Um, and someone wants the Habs to trade Jack Eye to the Rangers for very little. We we're on to you. We know exactly what you're trying to do there. Let's talk about Arbor Jack Eye. Um, he's a really he's he's turned into a very valuable player. There's a timing issue though with him, right? Like I feel like uh, um. He has two things that really hold him back. Taking those penalties at the end of periods, we know that Arbor Jacki is going to get called really, really harshly by the refs. Like they've, it's it's shitty. But he has like a reputation of like a Matt Cook type guy. When he's he's not dirty, he's just stronger than everyone else in the league. Um, and also, we saw tonight went for that big hit. Are you concerned at all about Arbor Jacki? Because it's kind of easy to lose track that he's only played about fifty games in the NHL. Like this guy's still getting used to to the NHL game, right? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I'm not concerned. I, I, I think that he's still really young in his career and he's got you, you got to give him some breathing space to make some of those mistakes and then yeah. learn from them. Right. He's had some games this year where he was extremely effective. His underlying numbers were fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's had some other ones where less so. I think this game against the, the Knights, you know, he had a few plays uh, that whiff on the hit. Uh, there was a few passes that uh, that really kind of made me, you know, not too sure about those ones. Um, on the power play, there was a few times where he got the puck at the line and bobbled it. Um, like you said, maybe a timing issue, right? And I think that'll probably get get itself sorted out uh, the, the more reps that he actually has. Um, you go back to that game against the Jets. I mean, his underlying numbers weren't great, but he was getting very physical with the Jets. The he was presence. letting them know exactly where he was. And you could tell that they were a lot more tentative to try anything <laughs> around the net when he was on the ice. That value, I mean, again, if you look at underlying stats, you might go, well, 
he wasn't good in this game because his underlying numbers weren't good. Well, th- that intrinsic value of being able to like kind of make people think a little bit once or twice more than they normally would when they're around the net, it it, it helps you. And uh, it helped him against the Jets. I, I think a little bit less so in this particular game. It was a little bit more high flying and he didn't really get a chance to impose himself physically. But when he does, uh, he can be a very effective player for them. So I just give him time. Uh, I'm not worried about him yet. I think he's I think he's growing and he's learning and he's going to get better. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I look at it, too. And I feel like uh, he's already surpassed the expectations to begin with, right? Like, that's the that's the key oh, part yeah. there. So yeah. those hits. And, and the, the thing is, if he just tightens up those bad, again, those penalties, I feel like really he's being picked on by the refs. But if he tightens that up, then he automatically becomes a, a, a plus value player, right? So the good news yeah. is that, as you mentioned, like there was a play earlier in the year where he came back. I believe it was against the Leafs in game one. Bumped Matthew Knees right off the puck. Took it up, drove it up the ice with control into the offensive zone, led to a high danger chance. And I'm like, wow, that is the Arbor Jack guy that you want to see everywhere, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, right now, maybe not at his best, but I'm not overly worried about him. I'm also not worried about Caden Gooley. Matt, let's let's talk about how... Well, first of all, Kay's going to love this, but Caden Gooley is just playing some fantastic hockey and he's 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 rough and tumble he's he's hitting guys he's playing fantastically defensively we saw last game against the jets that move against uh, against connor fantastic tonight we saw him control the puck um his goal that he when he when he passed at ul army in the last game to set up that goal that was exactly what the canadians need on their blue line so it's too early but where do you see you know i always held back and said kaden gooley like a number two or three guy is there a possibility he becomes a number one defenseman in the NHL? I think we're seeing him ascend to that role this Already, season eh? with really? the way that yeah. he's playing. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is the the next step for him towards becoming that legit number one defender. Against the Jets, he was the most used player. He skated mm-hmm. more minutes than anybody else. Now, of course, Mike Matheson did uh, you know leave that game with an injury, so yeah, yeah maybe he would have been the, the most used player. But then against the Golden Knights, he was their best defenseman uh, bar none. Uh, I think I think he was better than Matheson. Um, well, I think that was a pretty easy call to make that he was better than Matheson. Yeah, not his and best he had night. A, yeah, he had a pass. <laughs> He had a pass he made at one point where he was just outside of his own blue line or just inside of his own blue line, I think. And he passed to Cole Caulfield all the way across. It was basically a three-line pass because it got them into the offensive zone. And I I had to rewind my TV to to watch that pass again to be like, how did he get that through all those sticks? Because it was a mess of sticks in between there and where Cole Caulfield was. And somehow he put it tape to tape. So the way that he's affecting transition right now is going to be huge for the Habs. Um, because they really outside of Mike Matheson, who else do they have that can impact transition that much from the blue line? Not many, at least not consistently. Um, he's been doing point. it consistently, um, especially since he came back from injury. He's looked fantastic. I thought maybe he was going to be a step behind or something. We might have a bit of a timing issue with him after he missed a few games to injury. Not whatsoever. He's looked excellent. Um, I think this is great news for, for the rebuild. If he does indeed have the ability to ascend to that number one role permanently, fantastic news for the rebuild because they've got such a deep pool of defensemen right now that knowing he could be your number one it, it all of a sudden gives you a lot more options and uh well you know you're you're less reliant on some of those other players you know being able to become number one defenders you can imagine you saw the chemistry that um lane hudson and david reinbacker had when they were playing together at the at the rookie camp and everybody's going well maybe that's the number one pair of the future maybe not maybe that's the number two pair they get to play against slightly lesser opposition and create more offensively and Caden gooley can take the reins and play that those tough minutes for you and excel in those minutes um i'm excited by what i'm seeing from him it, it was a fantastic game for him that's two in a row where he's looked uh at like a world beater almost so um i'm, I'm loving it and, and again it's going back to last year when 
we saw there was that potential, but and I, I promised I wouldn't slag he who his name shall not be spoken, but it's just fun to see him thrive. And obviously having a new defensive partner helps. What you said there about in transition is so important, not just because they need guys in the back end doing it. You lost Kirby Doc. He's your best guy in transition. That's why Sean Monaghan's so important because he's fantastic in transition. So seeing Gooley set up those plays, those controlled ex, uh, entries, I mean... He's looking good just with his hair, with his beautiful hair, and he's looking great uh, on the ice. But we have to give credit to his partner tonight. I thought Justin Barron, man, I'll admit, coming into camp, I'm like, man, what's going on with this guy? He's, his confidence is gone. What is he doing? He's come out just like, uh, you know, like when we were when we were younger, we'd sit on the gates when the horses would come out from the farm, right, for the first in springtime, and you just hit there rumbling, and that's how Justin Barron rumbled out of the gates. He's scoring goals. He's playing well defensively. He's adapted to Gooley. Is this a is this a pairing in the works, you think? It, it could be. I mean, I again, we're, I guess we're, we're not naming the guy from last year, but that one didn't no. work. Andrew, uh, Andrew will. He'd be, uh, he'd, be, he'd be throwing strays that way, but we're not going to do it this time. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I probably would too normally, but I, I agree with you. We'll keep it positive instead yeah. of throwing strays at anybody. Yeah. Um, I thought he looked uh, early in the season, Gooley looked pretty good with Johnny Kovacevic. That was a pairing that I thought mm -hmm. uh, would make some sense, give him a little bit more um, offensive ability on his other side. Um, so far with Barron, it's, it's worked quite well. And Barron, I think I think he's just a slow starter because uh, he, he did look kind of rough in, in, the, um, in the early goings there and in the preseason. And that's what made him kind of the seventh guy. He was kind of the forgotten guy for a little bit. Injuries give him an opportunity, and all of a sudden he's running with it. We saw that last year too, right? He had to start in Laval. Um, he did well there, uh, but he was not doing very well there at the beginning of the year either. Um, anybody who follows the Rocket will tell you the yeah. first few games for him were pretty rough. Then he got better and better, and then he got his chance at the NHL, and then he looked very much like an NHL defenseman when he got there. And it's kind of the same thing this year. Had a bit of a rough start in the preseason. Um, you know, just practicing with the team, didn't really get a chance to play. Injuries put him in the lineup, and he's gotten better and better with every game that he's played. Um, so hopefully that continues. And if it does, yeah, absolutely. You could be looking at uh, the pair, a pairing of the future for them. Um, not sure if Justin Barron has that top pair ability yeah. uh, to play against, you know, the number one uh, line of the other team night in and night out. It could out. be a great but second pair, eh? Like, I mean, ideally. It could. Yeah. 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 And, hey, I, I think – Right now, they're still in the feeling out process of their rebuild. So I think when you find something that works, stick with it as long as you can. No. So for me, that pairing worked against one of the better teams in the league, the reigning Stanley Cup champions. <laughs> Keep rolling with it, right? Yeah, I think Keep they control like 90% of working. the shots, man. And that's in a game where you got outshot, that's pretty yeah. darn impressive. You know, so um, they're also, Caden is mentioning, Caden with a C is in our chat mentioning, we can we, we talked about the game. Maybe we'll talk about prospects a little bit, and we're gonna keep it somewhat quick tonight. I do, you know. I thank everyone for staying up late. You're all amazing. I, I mean, I wouldn't do this for me, but you are all doing it for uh, game over, and we appreciate it. If you could like the stream and like the stream, like the stream and uh, subscribe, we'd appreciate it. So Caden brings something up here. Um, wants to talk about late Hudson saying he's underrated. Well, I don't know if he's underrated because in my world, I rate him very, very high. I'd say the Montreal Canadiens have never had a prospect like this and I'm going all the way back. Like I'm talking legitimate, you know, not the Larry Robinson when he played for the Voyager. Obviously, he was very good. I'm talking modern hockey. They've never had a, a prospect like Lane Hudson. His game the other night was just, you know, I, what I love about it, Matt, is just picking up little plays here and there where he walks the blue line with the greatest of ease you know it's almost like watching michael jackson do a moonwalk but he's doing it with the puck he's doing it creating open lanes 
Lane Hudson, David Reinbacker, Logan Mayu, um, I'm forgetting, you know, even William Trudeau. Like, I've been afraid to say the Canadians are set because we said this, we said this a long time ago, but it really does seem like the Montreal Canadiens are set. Do you believe with your whole heart that Lane Hudson is going to automatically come in and dominate? Because I think he's going to need an adjustment period. And I don't want fans to get too worried about that. But this is going to be his last year in the NCAA. Where do you see Lane Hudson in the lineup next year? I, it might be an adjustment period for him. He might need to play uh, a little bit in Laval first. Uh, and it's nothing against him whatsoever. I think I've said this many times. If he could play, if if they were able to call him up tomorrow, right, and he was going to play against St. Louis on Thursday, mm -hmm. if all they had to do or if all they could do was just get him on the ice to play in transition and then hop him back off, particularly try to keep him out of the defensive zone, he absolutely could impact the game uh, in a big way because he's got that shiftiness. Like I saw – uh, you had the gif up on your on your account actually oh, the other night where you completely nutmegged a defender, embarrassed that guy in front of sent everybody. Sent him to the, the netherworld. Like yeah, <laughs> he went face first into the boards and was like, "I'll put it in no the chat idea. while you're talking. Keep talking. I'm gonna go find it and I'll put it in the chat and, so um, people can see it because that was just yeah. And that that's what I'm talking about. He does that. You know this. He does that 50 times per game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does it multiple times per game. Uh, his passing is unbelievable uh so he's we, we talked about with Caden Gooley you know the controlled zone exits controlled zone entries he can do both like mm -hmm. he can take it out of his zone all the way into the other zone and then as soon as you start focusing on him too much all of a sudden he's throwing a no look pass into the middle and one of his forwards are picking it up and putting a shot on goal so the, the way that he's able to generate offense is something that I think absolutely translates uh to the NHL at this point so I think they could they could put him straight into the NHL and I think he would have some success but you might also have some drawbacks particularly in his own zone so I think it might be better for them to ease him into that, uh, not throw him immediately into a big role. And if they do bring him up and, uh, and you know, it's entirely possible with the amount of skill that he has, that he shows up at camp next year and makes himself undeniable and they have no choice but to put him on the opening night roster. If that's the case, I would put him on the third pair. I would let him play against lesser opposition, let him figure out his timing. Um, and, and hopefully he can, you know, eventually work his way up in the lineup. I, I don't think he's a guy that would stay in the third pair for very long. Um, and I hate saying this so much because people always jump on me and they're like, oh, you're saying he's the next Kale McCarr. He's got some Kale McCarr in him. You watch the way Kale McCarr is it's able to Adam fake Fox out opposing players. Got, and yeah, yeah he's, he doesn't have the size, but he's got that ability with the puck. Uh, and that's extremely rare. And uh, like you said, haven't had a prospect like that in Montreal. Ever. Uh, I can't think of a defenseman that had that kind of electric ability since uh, P.K. Subban. And before that, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think anybody has. Uh, you mentioned Larry Robinson. Larry Robinson, very different type of player, bruising guy, right? Yeah. Um, Lane, Lane Hudson is, I, I think he's the real deal. And I think if he comes up next year, I hope they ease him into it. But I would not be surprised if he makes himself undeniable and he's on the opening night roster. Well, and, and neither would I, because when I was speaking to Adam Nicholas after the um, the camp, what happened was uh, at the time I was still with the Canadians and I'm walking back and I'm like, we had this whole conversation. We didn't see an actual word because I'm like, <laughs> I went like Lane Hudson. And then he just grunted at me and then I grunted more and then he kept grunting. We were just grunting at each other, but we were like in approval of Lane Hudson. It was like, mm, mm, mm. so anyways, through that conversation, he told me that he's, you know, we actually talked about it with our words later on, but he's like, man, this guy absorbs everything so damn quickly. He's raw. He's very raw. And he's like, I have to work on his skating, but he's not a afraid of of you know how much information he has to absorb you know so yeah lane hudson absolutely fantastic and as king of the north mentions my boy adam engstrom over in europe that's just a bonus right there you got this guy in the second rounder who's just playing or 
is it? Yeah, second rounder. Just playing incredibly well for uh, Rogel. This year, not as well as last year in terms of overall his plays producing more. But again, 19 years old, might have just turned 20, playing top pairing in the SHL. Very, very good news. So yeah, everything's encouraging from a defensive prospect standpoint. Now, let's talk. And don't forget, if you have any questions, we'll be getting to the third segment very, very soon. But I have Matt on, and I have to I have to ask him about his favorite prospect of all time, Corey Locke. No, <laughs> Joshua Roy is playing quite well in the AHL, and I'm going to be the annoying guy to say, leave him there. Like, so many people are, bring him up, bring him up. Why? Il fait bien, man. Il joue vraiment bien. Like, he's, he's, he's doing exactly what you wanted him to do in the AHL. I get it. He's the most exciting offensive product but or prospect, but you have to be careful with him to not kind of ruin that development, right? Like the Habs have a long history of really rushing guys into the NHL, and there's someone I have in mind that we haven't spoken about um, who was playing on the second line today, which, by the way, that second line, potentiel dans la poubelle, it's got to go. But let's talk about what you think. You think Joshua Roy should be in the NHL right now, whereas I think, like, Kay, let him cook. Well, it's not necessarily like I'm not trying to beat down uh, Kent Hughes or Martin St. Louis door and say, put him in the NHL right now. <laughs> I'm fine with him in Laval uh, and he's playing excellent. So I don't think there's any I think there's no harm in leaving him there. But I think the next time that they need a body, that's the guy that they should be called. Yeah, um, not even I, Elias I Anderson. It, no, I would pick Joshua Webb before him. And that's nothing against Leah Sanderson. He's been playing great for the Rocket as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would be my next call would be Joshua Webb. And I know people want to leave him down there. Um, but one thing I've been saying about Joshua Webb for the last three years, don't sleep on this kid. He is 100% capable of playing in the NHL right now. Well-rounded and I've said game. this so many times. He would work extremely well with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. He might be the guy that works best with them. And I know Rafael Harvey not nothing against him. He played great with them tonight. Um, but Joshua Hawass forward-checking ability, uh, his defensive acumen would be something that, that's kind of missing right now uh, in that trio. Um, he has the ability to turn pucks over and transition and create quick strike opportunities that Cole Caulfield would feast on. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you put him in, in a situation with the Montreal Canadiens right now, I'm, I'm sure that he'd be doing very well. Just maybe not as well as he's doing with the rocket but he'd be creating a lot of opportunities um he'd be you know getting the fans excited a little bit i think he absolutely could play he'd be my next call so again i'm fine with him playing level um not trying to make the argument that they need to bring him up right now i'm just saying next time they need to make a call i hope that's who they're calling yeah and i and i get it i absolutely get it actually someone um oh our friend sebastian jackson is in the chat so how's it going sebastian um yeah i i totally get it but i'm gonna go over it again i'd pick leas anderson to, to come up and it's not again it's not it has nothing to do with punishing Joshua Roy it's almost and I don't know how you explain it to him but you say like man you're so valuable that we don't want to risk it right now because I feel like he's just mana that fell from the heavens right fifth round pick we all know that when he played for St. John's he couldn't identify his goalie out of a police lineup but he, he as you mentioned the reason he would do so well in the NHL man. is because he has such a well-rounded game right like defensively you'd, you'd be in You'd be in big trouble in my hood right now for saying St. John's, man. He played for St. John. Oh, Two different cities. People get real upset about that around here. <laughs> That's fair enough. Absolutely. And you know what? Sometimes I misspell them. I'll go ST and... Yeah. Je m'excuse tout le monde. Uh, Nouveau-Brunswick. He was... Yeah. My bad about that. But we do know that he's emerged as a 200-foot player. So I'm with you on the fact that he'd, he'd do well in Montreal. Because you can trust him defensively, right? And what you mentioned there, the vision with Cole Caulfield. 
would be great. It would alleviate a lot of the defensive pressure on Suzuki, which allow him to, you know what? You've talked me into it. That's it. Call up <laughs> Joshua Hua. He's got to be the next guy playing in Montreal. But I really do think Leas Anderson makes more sense just for a, like, I guess maybe, I don't know, man. Maybe I've just been scarred. Like, I'm worried about bringing these guys up too fast. And you know me, Matt. I'm a guy that's always, hey, if he deserves it, get him up. But I feel like I'm the old man now that's saying, no, no, keep him in the AHL. I don't know what it is, but are you worried it's, about it, the, like, the development angle of the Habs? You know what it is, right? It's it's scar tissue from having seen them rush people before, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, they've made the argument with Slavkovsky. They made the argument with Alex Galchenyuk. Um, there's been a lot of prospects that have come through the system, Kakanyemi, um, where people Guillaume have said, you know, they rushed this guy. Uh, Louis Leblanc, like we can, someone mentioned Latendresse earlier, but they kind of did that to him too, right? Like We could go down the list for it, but you could also go down the list of, you know, people that they brought up that seemed like maybe it was a little bit early and it actually went quite well for them. Like P.K. Subban, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, went quite well for them when they brought him up. Yeah. <laughs> Cold Caulfield. Um Cole Caulfield, yeah, they kind of took their time with him. Uh, but once he came up, like, there was no time in Laval for him. It was straight to the show. And, uh, in fact, he went basically straight into the playoffs almost uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, and they went on a big run. Uh, so sometimes you have those players who are ready for the bright lights. Joshua Hawat is one of those he's players. Smart. You saw it at the World Juniors, man. You get the bright lights there. Uh, he's got to go play on the top line with Connor Bedard. Um, you know, he's, he's eating huge minutes for the team. He's killing penalties. He's playing power play as well. Uh, if team Canada can trust him under those kind of lights to the point where he was a key player for them and two gold medal wins, um, this guy's got ice in his veins. They could bring him up tomorrow and he would be just fine. Again, I don't, I'm not trying to rush him. I'm not saying do it tomorrow, but if you needed a guy tomorrow, maybe Thursday, my <laughs> maybe Thursday. Hey, if you need somebody. I don't think they do. I think they're okay, but... Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, if those, just uh, by the way, if you can, if anyone's on Twitter, so Sebastian, um, unfortunately, wasn't a great day uh, for him. So his uh, cousin is missing in Montreal. So if you can go check out uh, the Twitter, you can throw that in the chat there, Sebastian. And if everyone can circulate that and we can uh, pass the news. And if you've seen her, it'd be great to, uh, to obviously to report it. So we hope that that works out very well for our friend Sebastian. Uh, yeah, and Mathieu Barrette mentions paling here. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of guys that have been rushed. But the really the best point here is from Chris Walker saying there's no point in bringing him up for just 15% of his ice time. So I'm with him on that yeah. if it's going to be a fourth line like i hate the idea of putting prospects in the fourth line the guys that can score and you got to work your way up it Pourquoi? why are we doing that like what's the logic there you put him with guys that he needs to play so with me it's top six or bust stay in laval yeah. like kind of kind of you know what don't forget pk suban spent his whole year in the ahl as well right so there's like there's evidence to suggest it would be good but yeah i I'm not too worried about the ice time thing, however, because Martin Saint-Louis really likes guys that are good defensively, and Joshua Roy, yeah. would you agree with me right now he'd be one of their best defensive forwards, like, immediately? I think he'd be he'd be up there with, with Monaghan, um, for sure. Yeah. I, I don't think they have very many guys, especially you know, just transitional defense, the way that he keeps an active stick, and he, he jumps on passes. Like, if you make a bad pass and he's on the ice, he's going to get a stick on it or His he's going to skate on it. He's going to figure out a way to disrupt that. Yeah. His vision's great. Anticipation's great. Um, and I, by the way, completely agree with what you guys are saying. Um, I would not bring him up if it's to play on the fourth line. That does not make any sense. 
bring him up, give him a shot in the top six. If you're not going to do that, leave him right where he is. Let him play top six minutes down there. Um, when I when I make this argument, well, that's why I'm always mentioning the possibility of trying him out with Caulfield and Suzuki is because if they do it, I'd, I'd love to see him play in the top six. You look at the second line right now. I think they could use a bit of a, a kickstart. So if you're not going to try him with Caulfield and Suzuki, you could try him on that second line and see if maybe he you know, gets them going a little bit because since Doc left, they've been pretty brutal. And that is, okay, so we'll get to the third segment. So if you have any questions or have any comments, we'll just start interacting with the chat a little bit more. But hey, we always love all of you. So we appreciate everyone being here, especially it's late. It's 1.30 in the morning here. What time is it over there? What time is it in New Brunswick? It's 2.30. Oof. And you have a young child. So, uh, yeah, but not quite as young as Yuri Slavkovsky. Uh, sorry, not quite as uh, Yuri Slavkovsky. He's a little bit older. He's still quite young, though. One, one point I wanted to make tonight was out of all the guys, if they go out tonight, and they will, I guarantee it, because you always keep an extra day in Vegas, especially if you're only playing Thursday. So they have a party night tonight. That's always how it goes in Vegas. Yuri Slavkovsky can't join the party. He's not 21 years old. You know what I mean? So like there's always, we got to remind ourselves, I know it hasn't been great for him and no one misses Kirby Doc more than Yuri Slavkovsky. However, I'd say Alex Newhook might miss Doc almost as much as Slavkovsky. He's doing what he can, but the stuff, here's, here's my take on it. You said it's bad. I think they all bring something different to the ice. So... Uh, Newhook, east-west guy, right? Josh Anderson, north-south guy. And um, Sapkowski is the kind of guy that he needs a little more time when you set up in the zones. He needs time and space. None of these styles work. Like, it's all it's all contradictory, and I'm just not sure why they're running that second line. It's not good for Anderson. It's not good for Slavkovsky. It's not good for Newhook. What do you do, though? Do you just switch Monaghan like, and bring down Newhook? Or, I don't know, because the Monaghan line, as you mentioned, has been amazing. Like, really good. So, yeah, it's just the numbers are so bad right now. They're getting outshot. They're getting outchanced. Josh Anderson's the only man in the world who has 10 high danger chances and doesn't get a shot. I don't know what's going on there. But, like, there's good elements. But it's clearly not working right now. Do you blow up that line immediately? I mean, it's... The only reason that it's hard to do it is because then who are you removing from another line, right? I don't think you want to touch that, again, quote-unquote third line. They're basically the second line. Some yeah. nights they're even the first line uh, in terms of production. Um, so I don't think you want to mess with a good thing there. Um, Rafael Harvey-Pinard has clearly been the most effective player on the top line, so I don't want to flip him and Anderson, even if that might be to the oh. slight benefit of the second line. And Anderson um, does I not think... play well on that line, let's be honest. Or actually, it's not just him. All three yeah. don't play well, yeah. I think this is where the argument that a lot of Habs fans are trying to make, where they say, send your Slavkovsky down, let him get a little stint with the Laval Rocket, where he can play top six minutes, maybe get some of that confidence back. Because it's not like he's playing bad. No, It's like he's just a slight step behind on certain plays. He's making good plays. He seems reluctant to shoot. Um, he seems like he's got a very pass-first mentality there. And he's given up some good looks to try and make some, some lower percentage passes that you know maybe he would stop doing that if he had the opportunity to play against slightly lesser competition in the AHL and just keep some of those looks for himself. I, I wonder if a short stint down there wouldn't do wonders for his confidence. And then in the meantime, you could make a call up. You could call up Joshua Y. You could call up Leah Sanderson. Um, and then you could start playing around with the lines and seeing a configuration that works without touching your number one or your number three lines that have been your two best lines. Um, it's it's a tough act for uh, Martin Saint-Louis right now. I don't envy him because you have two lines that are firing on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. You have a fourth line that's serviceable. They're usually that's the right way. Serviceable, close to yeah. a wash. <laughs> yeah, they're you know they're they're not contributing a whole lot, but they're also not giving up a whole lot, which yeah, is kind of what you want perfect. on your fourth line is to eat minutes, right? <clears throat> it's just that second line they can't seem to figure out anything that works. 
So I don't know, maybe you need to look at shaking things up a little bit, bringing somebody up from the farm. It's funny because uh, <laughs> they actually, right now, Mathieu Barrette mentioned, and this is something that the only person that's never gotten an audition on that top line is Uri Slavkovsky. I, I like, ironically, I remember being in the locker room with him, like literally right after they drafted him, I'm like, who do you want to play with? He's like, Caulfield and Suzuki, like immediately everyone was talking about it and he hasn't had his shot. So it might be interesting to yeah. give him a go, right? Like I, you got nothing to lose, but I'm with you. I had a whole section written about him going to Laval last game, but I'm like, hey, it's a win. Let's not talk about it. Uh, it's really just about finding him ice time and it doesn't matter where you get ice time for, for Slavkosi. Just like if it's, if it's Laval, that's perfect. If it's Montreal, that's perfect. But right now it's just, he's a guy with utmost confidence and you feel like he doesn't have it. Cause someone else mentioned here. Yeah. Ryan Baker, Slavkovsky has more time than he thinks he does. And that's, he's right because yeah. the biggest issue with Slavkovsky is because he, he took too much time at first. Now he's getting rid of the puck. Like now he's going almost too fast. So you know, he went from a guy that, that 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 took forever to a guy that's premature. You know, so it's it's just uh, that did not come out right. But you know, it's just not working right now. The processor isn't figuring out the speed of the, the time, and I don't think his line mates are helping. So, you know, it's it's it, it's funny because I want to preach patience, but I'm right there with people saying he's got to start producing. You know, he's got to start producing. But again, 19 years old. This man is 19 years old. He will not be 20 until March. So you know, he's. Arguably got another 21 years of hockey in him. So, you know, I think we'll probably look back at this in a couple of years and be like, wow, you know, like we, we, we overreacted. But at the same time, hey, Kotkinemi is starting to produce now. I don't know if that would have happened if he would have stayed in Montreal with that ice time. So something has to happen from the Canadian standpoint. And I think that comes with confidence. And as you said, probably, probably in Laval. You know what I mean? So, um yeah, it's true. Habs rule mentioned easy on the Hua hype. I agree. I agree. Um, it's just that he's actually like a complete game. That's the cool part about Joshua Hua. But the other part is he's cooled down a little bit in the last few days. And that's what I was expecting in Laval. He wasn't going to go two points per game forever. So, you know, no, no rush. He's found money. It's a found wallet. To quote Ryan Burke, a found wallet there. Um, uh, can't see Canadian saying apparently he was benched at the end of the game. Was that Slavkovsky? Well, what happens? here's the other part that really screws with Slavkovsky's confidence last year. Okay. So technically he played more on the third line than the fourth line, but in all reality at the end of games, when things became intense or he came close, St. Louis drops him down to the fourth line or the bench and brings someone else up to the third line. So he played 10 minutes average or 10, 15 in uh, even strength last year, the lowest amount of any rookie in the last like 10 years. So the issue is that he's not trusted in those games, those, those high pressure you know, uh, situations. And obviously that gets to him. He knows when the game's on the line, he's not on the ice. It's the opposite of like Suzuki or, or Gouli. So, but you know, we don't want to be too, too critical. Cause again, very young. I just think confidence takes some shots. You got to get him with a guy that creates time and space. I'd like to see Slavkovsky with Sean Monahan. maybe. And it's harsh, but maybe you move Pearson off that line. Um, he's been playing really well, but let's be perfectly honest. Pearson is not part of the future of this team. So, you know, I really think you need a guy that's good in transition, and that's where Sean Monahan comes into play. So, um, oh yeah, Habs Rule mentions thinks Armia's playing well. Fucking right, he is. Armia's playing yeah. like like a bull, you know, out there. You know, he's playing really, really well. And I, Matt, I think he took the whole AHL thing like a goddamn champion. He did. You know, he went down there and he was dominant. He was clearly too good for the AHL. <laughs> right, scores like, on his first shift, like immediately. Yeah, his first shift, he scores. 
Um, I, I watched that whole game, actually. I was, of course, I'm trying to watch Joshua Y mostly, but um, I, I was watching that game, and every time that he was anywhere near the puck, it was like, okay, this guy's – he's not an NHL player. He's an <laughs> NHL player. The only problem with him in the NHL is that he's just significantly overbaked, right? The Habs would love to if have he was on $2 million already at this point. If he was $2 yeah. million, dollars, you'd say he's one of the best third or fourth liners in the league. Oh, yeah. No problem. Because it's not like he's a bad player. No. He's just – it's it's the same effect that Jonathan DeWayne was getting when he was in Montreal, where people yeah. were really harping on him because they're saying, oh, he's playing. He's, he's not bad. He's just yeah, – his contract's a little too rich uh, for, for everybody's blood. So mm-hmm. um, I I wonder if, if he keeps playing like this, is there a possibility that Ken Hughes finds some miracle deal to get that contract off the books? Now, I know that's a tough sell um, because he is, again, significantly overpaid. But, man – he managed to get rid of the Mike Hoffman contract. Everybody thought that <laughs> He's contract. He's been doing miracles with these contracts. So like. <laughs> if, if he can get rid of that one and Yoel Armijo wants to keep playing the way that he's playing right now, maybe there's a possibility that he figures out a way yeah. uh, to move on from that contract, hopefully without retaining salary. Because I don't think they want to use their last retention slot on Yoel Armijo. Because it's two years but... left, right? Is that it? Two years? Yeah, it's two years. Well, So then no, you have two year years on Petrie. You have two years. And, but then, okay, Edmund, Edmondson opens up next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> It's like I, at the I, same I, time, it's it's great to keep it, and but you have to, you know, might as well use it. I like that Ken Hughes has been pretty aggressive with it. You remember when Marc Benjamin yeah. would save up all that cap space, then he just wouldn't use it. Well, like these are fleeting assets, right? They're depreciating assets. They do have an expiry date, so I don't mind the uh, I don't mind retaining on him if you can get like a. But it can't be for a fifth round pick, you know. It can't be like the Petrie thing where it was like a gift you know you'd have to get some sort of value i think his saving grace was what you do matt is you take video of just him fighting on the boards like like every single board battle he's ever had in montreal you (laughs) ship it out to every single nhl team you're like look at that look at that because this guy is legitimately a menace in in puck puck battles so um it's just i've never seen a guy that 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 has 99 percent of the game then he gets to the net and like it just is you know but you notice that now he came back and he's he's really working hard. It's he's renewed sense of vigor. So I'm happy for him as a person. You know what I mean? Like it it, it can't be great at that point in your career to get sent down. That's rough. He took it like a champ. So you know, like honestly, I would say that right now, um, I was gonna say he's one of the better players, but he's right in the middle of the pack, and that's where you want him to be. So um, okay, so yeah, the Sharks are awful. Yeah, the Sharks are gonna be Macklin cele- are gonna be Macklin celebrating their uh, draft pick. Uh, this year have you seen Macklin Celebrini play beside Lane Hudson in Boston yet yeah oh my god yeah man. I got I, I'm slightly envious of the Sharks although uh, they're gonna have a pretty rough road on the way to, uh, to probably drafting him um, yeah yeah he's very good oh my god and, and you know you <laughs> I and the the best part or the worst part is that he's doing all this with Lane Hudson Hudson's just feeding him left and right and it's like wow I, I he's mm. almost to the point that and I didn't think he was this good but He's almost worth selling the farm for, right? Not quite Bedal level, but damn, this kid, like 17 years old. And, and he's just right away scoring goals. He scored, I think, six goals in five games. Might be seven and six by now. But Macklin Celebrini, and there's, you know, there's other guys in that draft too, even Demidov. But yeah, going to be a very good draft. I don't think the Habs are going to be bottom five, though. Even though I predicted it, I think I got them wrong. Do you think they're going to finish bottom five still? I don't think they're going to be bad enough for bottom five. I think that the the level of play that we're seeing from them right now, particularly at five on five, uh, even when they're up against teams that are much better on paper, they're they're bringing it to them. Um, you know, they were right in this game uh, with the Vase Golden Knights. You could make a pretty 
convincing argument that they were the better team over the reigning Stanley Cup champions who yeah. have not yet lost the game in regulation. Um, I, I really don't think that this team is going to be that bad at their bottom five. I would tell her, anybody who's worried about that and thinks, wow, we need to be bottom five to get a better pick. I'm telling you, take a look at the any any draft rankings. You're going to see a lot of really interesting defensemen that are popping up in like the 10s. Oh, no, you said defensemen. defensemen. Fans are going to be upset about that one. <laughs> no. Got to be a wait, forward. <laughs> wait, that's that's what I'm saying, though, is some of those defensemen are going to jump into the top 10 on draft. Yeah. Day. So other teams are going to take them. It's going to push some forwards down. So if the Habs are in the 12, 13, 14 range there should be don't be surprised if they get another cole yeah. caulfield-esque opportunity in that draft because i think there's some forwards that are going to slide for defensemen and you're going to have an opportunity in the in the early teens to get somebody who shouldn't be there. yeah no absolutely and, and even last year and i don't want to bring it up again but a guy like uh but i will not even madvey michkov zach benson but he fell to what like uh yeah i don't know he didn't he didn't go top five and uh, sabers got him did they get him at 12 at 12 Holy crap! That's no the, business being there. Like that's that's as good as Coffee at fifteen. He was the best playmaker in the in the draft by far. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like the idea of if you just draft based on numbers. I know it sounds so unscientific, but you'll actually end up. Usually, there was a we did a project when I was with SB Nation while you you were there as well. But is remember the Leafs? They said instead of Dave Nonis, if we draft with a potato, but the potato, the only thing the potato could do was draft the guy with the highest points. And they ran a bunch of simulations, and that potato absolutely blew Dave Notice out of the water. So, uh, again, I know defense were important, but at this point, the Habs will have to focus on some some offense. And we're going to have guys, like you mentioned, after Demi Dov that are quite good. Um, okay, so if you have any questions, drop them in the chat. We've been live for what now? Uh, oh, my God, 45 minutes, and you're all still listening to us. We appreciate it. There's a ton of people here. Thank you all so much. If you could like the chat and subscribe, we would also appreciate it. We have a mention here of Armia close to the net is Lyle Odeline by Chris Walker. Well, that's a compliment in my books because Lyle Odeline, no joke, is one of my favorite players of all time. So there will be no goddamn Lyle Odeline disparagement in this chat. The pride of Quill Lake, a man who scored a hat trick for the Stanley Cup defending Montreal Canadiens. Put some respect on Lyle Odeline's name. Um, what else we have here? Oh, yeah. What do we do when, when Dvorak's bad, uh, back? Secret agent man mentions he is a center. So do you just um, Monahan second line, Dvorak third line, see if it works? Or I keep forgetting about Dvorak. <laughs> yeah, me too. Dvorak, to be honest. I, I legitimately um, forgot about I, Dvorak. Yeah. <laughs> it could potentially solve your, your whole second line issue there. Absolutely. Because um, you could. You know, you could play around a little bit and see who works best uh, on that second line. Yeah. It's going to leave somebody as the odd man out, though, either either dropping off uh, out of the lineup altogether or down. Um, you know, I don't think they want to move your Isokoski down the lineup. I think if you're going to do that, you might as well let him play top six in that battle. Um, I don't think they want to move Brendan Gallagher down. I, I don't think that Tanner Pearson deserves to get moved down and play on the fourth line at this point. Um, so somebody's going to be the odd man out, uh, when he comes back, but absolutely. I think you could play around with it a little bit and it might solve that issue for you. Um, I think the first person I would try on that second line to see if you can get it going is, as you mentioned, Sean Monaghan. Yeah. Um, he's been playing excellent this year. He deserves <laughs> so uh, a chance at a promotion and you get the added benefit of, well, if you are considering trading him, moving him up in the lineup. And if, if he works there too, you know, it's a big bat signal to the rest of the league that like uh, the league rather that you better trade for this guy if you're a contender, because he can jumpstart a line that seems like it's dead in the water. Um, yeah. I think Dvorak coming back could potentially solve that for you. I'd, I'd, I'd play around with it though. I'd, I'd try him out. Um, I'd maybe even try Dvorak on that second line as well to see if, Maybe he's the the guy there, but you know they 
they need to do something to figure out that second line because right now it's the biggest weak spot in their lineup. Um, <laughs> Joe Gannon says, how does Don Shelm still keep Cole, Cole Caulfield off the score sheet? Doesn't even matter which bench he's behind. <laughs> I feel like, I feel bad for Don Shelm because, okay, he's not the reason Cole Caulfield shot 0% while he was behind the coach. Now, he failed at getting him going again, and he gave him that stupid, like, rookie treatment. I'm going to bench you, like, during the playoffs, which is pretty fucking stupid. Let's admit it. Uh, he didn't have confidence in him. But it's not Dom Shum's fart. fart. Wow. Fault that uh, that uh, Cole Caulfield couldn't score while he was there. You know what I mean? So, But there's there's a lot that he did that wasn't too great. And I, I, I always laugh when people are talking about what he did to the, uh, to the Cole Caulfield. It was, it was a fart when it came to using Cole Caulfield. I still can't believe that he... Didn't he bench him in the playoffs? Yeah, he benched Cole Caulfield in the playoffs, didn't he? Or no, fourth line? Or what was it again? He uh, he demoted him. Um, I, I don't remember him being he didn't bench him, benched him. altogether. No, got but he just, he, just, he just moved him down the lineup and cut his minutes significantly, which was... You know, a patently the, fucking ridiculous classic thing to do dumb with your, the best shot on your team is oh let's just neuter the offense. The, the, the thing with Shum is, you know, in, in that playoff run, he he had the luxury of just tapping Philippe Dano on the shoulder anytime that the best players in the other yeah. team jumped we'll on the ice. We'll take care of Matthews. Go we'll Phil, take care. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he would go out there and do all the lifting for you. So then. You know, we we get to the end of that that run, and a lot of people are, you know, he gets a, a contract extension. A lot of people are going, "Wow, he did, he did a pretty good job there." You know, coming in, coaching that team all the way to the final. Mm-mm. Harry Price <laughs> did a good job. <laughs> Harry Price did a great job. Yeah, exactly. So I, I almost forgot Carey Price. He had two luxuries there. Yeah, yeah. One, a center that can shut down the other the other team's best line, and two, Carey Price at the top of his game. That's you know, that's luxuries that most coaches don't have. Uh, most coaches have to try and do more with less. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what they're saying. Oh, yeah. So Sam is mentioning that he, the healthy scratch Caulfield for the first few games. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look and it's been it's late there. But I do remember something about that. And I'll tell you right now, every single time you talk about, oh, they lost the room. The coach lost the room. It's almost always bullshit. It was so true for the Habs. <laughs> it might have been the first time that in Habs history he lost the room. The players, they, they didn't just not like them they disrespected them like they were walking out if you'd be like guys ever you know we're have a meeting they'd be like go fuck yourself dom and they'd walk out you know what i mean like they hated this guy with a passion it came out it was jeff patriot that had to mention it to the media but yeah they really did not like uh dom sham and i feel bad too because it was just a shitty situation i don't think any other coach would have done better that year honestly but yeah it, it's when he tried to fix it, he went old school, like a hundred year old coach. And that didn't work. Um, Ooh, Chris just poured a cask of single strength. Oh, uh, nice of malt. Okay. Yeah. I've been, I've been wanting to get back into whiskey and bourbon there recently. I'm not a big scotch guy, but I can't cause I have this new medicine for my heart. So I can't do drinking anymore and I can't go out in the sun anymore. It's really fun. Don't get old. Just don't get old. I'm telling everyone now. Okay. I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, oh yeah. And as Chris mentions, Jean didn't, he also had Weber who was like playing despite being broken, giving his all. Yeah. Sherrod actually played, Sh- uh, played pretty well considering Corey Perry was on all sorts of uh, uh, dominant streaks. So yeah, that was a, uh, it was a fun year. I'll tell you right now, I was working for the Canadians and I have to admit that was the most fun I've ever had. I was working with my producer and we were just laughing the whole time. So I have great memories about that run at least. And I remember coming out one day, just having a smoke real quick. I look over, you're standing there with Josh Larac, you're on TV. 
You were bigger yeah. than Georges Larac. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but you had the, like, it, he, he wasn't flexing, he wasn't, but man, you were almost twice his arm size, so I got to give you props for, uh, for making Georges Larac look small. Well, I mean, he's, he's a, quite a bit taller than me, and uh, there, there's actually a funny picture that I took from uh, one of the, the TV hits that we did together where, like, he was talking and I was looking at him, like, up like this, and it kind of looks like I was thinking about whether or not I could fight him. Right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. And the reality is he would destroy oh him. He's a very large man. I might have bigger arms, but that's just because I, I, I'm younger and I pump a lot of weight. So. Yeah, yeah, no, him, it's not, uh, him is not uh, what you'd call, like, model arms. Him is just core strength. Like, it's pure strength there, you know. Oh, He's got no, that yeah. hockey strength in him there yeah no don't fight Georges Larac it doesn't matter if he's, a, if he's a vegetarian or not you know you just don't fight no. Georges Larac yeah all right so thank you so much everybody honestly this is so cool we had a ton of people viewing I love our Habs fans they're in it no matter what um it's been a fun season you know what I mean like they're winning the vibes are good the vibes are good in the rebuild we will be back on Thursday when the Canadians face um, the Arizona Coyotes at Mullet Arena, which is sponsored, uh, I guess, by the, what is it, the college? It's like the Sun Devils. or what? It's funny, you go in there and you can't see Coyotes anywhere. But, Matt, I'll tell you this. I'd love to go to watch a game in Arizona. You want to go pick up a game there? Um, you know, I could go down to my local high school rink and probably watch a game with about as many people. So and you probably have like a few more, few more fans. So thank you everybody ah. in the chat. Honestly, we all appreciate you. We'll see you again on Thursday. Matt, where can they find you? Yeah. www.habseyesintheprize.com. Um, all of my writing, uh, you can find it there. Uh, we also have podcasts as well. Uh, we don't have a video version, um, you know, cause nobody needs to look at my mug for too long. That's why Mark brings me on for the late, for the late ones only. Uh, try to keep me away from most of the people, right? <laughs> but um, you can find us uh, anywhere. Uh, just Eyes in the Prize, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're with the Believe Network now, uh, which is a new network that we're with. Um, they handle most of our advertising and stuff. Great place, actually. they got a lot of interesting podcasts. You can check them cool. out as well uh, on Twitter or elsewhere. And uh, yeah, Eyes in the Prize, uh, anywhere that uh, you get your podcasts. Awesome. And yeah, you can find them on Twitter. I believe you said that. Matt P. P. Drake? Is there... Yeah, it's P. Drake, right? No, it's just Drake MT. Trick MT, oh, yeah, cool. sorry. Wow, why am I thinking that? I'm thinking that's me, that's or my X. middle name. Marc Pizmont. <laughs> okay, so you can, uh, yeah, Drake MT. You can find me at, uh, actually, don't follow me on Twitter. I, I just make terrible jokes all day long and you've heard them all before. Thank you to everyone in the chat. Thank you, Mathieu Barrette, to Caden, to Kay, who's always here. Habs rule. You ask, are we here after every game? Every single game. So you have me and you have Andrew. We bring on fun guests all the time on the SDPN uh, podcast network. That is it for all of us tonight. I honestly love you all. I appreciate you all. And we'll see you on Thursday.